that's always a blessing when you get uh, everyone who God's gifted, and then they take the time to foster those gifts, and what a blessing. So thank you for everyone who always leads us in worship each week and for good friends when they come to visit. So it's really wonderful. Let me just pray before we get into this. Father, I ask for your direction and your very words, Lord, that it wouldn't be uh, I who speak, but you and me, and that this would be for the benefit, the building up, the teaching, the conviction, the life of the people who hear it, and that you would draw us closer to you as we're changing and transforming to be more like Jesus, I pray. Amen. So my name is Will. If, if I didn't get to meet you, I'm the pastor here. Majority of the time, I would be the one speaking. Sometimes we'll have other members of the elder board or youth pastors and such speak. We typically go through a book of the Bible, you know, verse by verse. We're in between that. So a few months ago, we did a crazy thing. We put a a box up here, we asked for suggestions. What kind of topics would you like covered in between these books? And so one of them that we got was the idea and the topic of creation. <laughs> Excuse me. So we were, we were on that. Today, I, I'm going to continue in that area. So next week, if you want to come back for a great fun talk, we'll talk about kind of the uh, implications and the fallout uh, from the entrance of sin into the world and the fallout and how that's affected male-female relationships, sexuality, and all that. This week, I want to talk to you about the fallout on all of creation when sin entered the world. So let's turn your Bible in your Bibles right towards the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Familiar story? Genesis 3. You started learning about this even in like nursery school, right? So there's a serpent, right? It comes in, Adam and Eve, some kind of fruit, leaves on them. Um, You know, that's, so that's a real familiar story. I'm going to just kind of whip through this a little bit because I want to get to the point that I feel like I need to make with you today. So Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, right? So, okay, so randomly there's a serpent. He shows up on the scene in the garden. There's a woman there. He says to her, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Verse two. And so then the woman responded, right? And then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, verse 4, you surely will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So you see what's at play here, right? There's a serpent. He's crafty. There's a woman. He tries to catch her. Did God really say, you can't eat any of the fruit of the garden? She says, no. What he said was, we can't eat of this tree right here. As a matter of fact, we can't even touch it or we'll die. And then the serpent's like, that sounds like a load, right? That's not true. That's just, that can't be true. You surely wouldn't die. It's just just a fruit. It's just a tree. 
For God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You won't even need them anymore. You'll be able to see what's good and evil. So, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it, of its fruit, and ate. And she also came to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So what happens next? What is it? They get kicked out of the garden? Yeah. Fig leaves? They went and they hid because they were naked, right? <coughs> and then God said, Adam, Eve, where are you? <laughs> Come on out. He knew what was going on, right? Well, we hid because we were naked. Well, who told you you were naked? You ate of the fruit, didn't you? Oh, yeah, Dad, right? So then they decided to kick them out of the garden. So you kind of, let's fast forward a little bit. This is the first, verse 22. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life, eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so get this. So, so help, I want to make sure that you understand this too. So God said this, like the Lord says, okay, now the man has eaten of the tree, and now he's aware of good and evil. He's aware of the options that he has. He can see what, what's enticing him towards evil. He can see what's going on with good. We've got a problem. If we leave him here in the garden, he'll continually eat of, right, the the tree that will give him eternal life. And the evil that's been planted in him can go on forever. This is not good. Why might that be a problem? Because it's opposition of God. Yeah, why else? If he stays in the garden, what's the problem? No redemption? Yeah. He can't have a relationship with God? Well, you see, perpetually what happens, guys, is once sin took root, it just progresses. It gets worse. If you go on in Genesis, you're going to see events, right? Like you'll, you'll see uh, events, like you'll see the flood. Like Josh talked about this last week, Babel. Remember what happened with that? They created one kingdom in their own plans. They created this great kingdom, and they wanted to build a tower, to reach where God was at. And God had to say, if I leave you to your own devices, this is going to go really bad. Right? So he had to separate the people, confuse their languages, create different nations. It got so bad, right? He had to flood the earth and kill all of mankind. I mean, if we're left to our own devices, right, our own lusts, our own desires, it goes really bad. Anyone like, Will, you're, you're smoking something, and that's not true. Okay, we're on the same page. We can keep going. Okay, 
Even so, you see throughout mankind, God started shortening their lives. And by doing that, it created uh, limitations on their development of evil that person could do. So we kind of answered that question. Why did God kick him out of the garden? Okay, now sin had entered. Whatever man would do, what would be what? What's that? Evil, right? (coughs) Whatever man would do could be cursed. Whatever man would do would destroy the world around him. And then Adam, for his part, I want to show you this too. There's a part for Eve. There's a part for the serpent. Today we'll talk about in Genesis 3.17... And God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your lives. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the garden, or plants of the field, I'm sorry. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What's that mean? They'll die? What happens when you die? What's that? Yeah, your body deteriorates. Once the blood starts popping through very quickly, you begin to see a deterioration process. If you cremate a body, it goes back to dust quicker. Right? If you don't, over time it returns to that. The earth's cursed. cursed. Yes. So here's what we have. (coughs) Because Adam's sin came in, not only is man cursed, guys, but all of creation now is cursed. The ground is cursed. I mean, the implications of that is anyone has worked hard. Yeah. Um, Is is like going after money and trying to get that difficult. Do you feel a push in your life to have a purpose? Yeah. Do you do, does that purpose get mixed up with what you do for work? Okay. Anyone married, right? Have you seen that? You've got to go to a boss who wants more of your time and you leave behind a family who wants more of your time. It's a fight. Anyone ever been fired? Dang, itchy, sorry. Um, You tried to plant gardens in this uh, clay that we have? Not easy, right? Who loves weeds? Who stepped on those little, like, you know, goat heads? And you feel the burn of death for about three to five minutes in your foot. I mean, you will struggle. It will be hard to make a living for yourself. You will fight, and you will fight, and you will toil. And it will be hard. And you'll grow a beautiful tree, and then, you know, some rot will come in. Or you'll grow a beautiful tree, and the wind will come through. Do you see it? Paul saw it. Paul was writing a letter to Christians in Rome Rome at the time. And this is a a book in the Bible we call Romans. And Romans 8.18 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, anyone feel sufferings of the present time? Okay. Okay, Paul, what do you want to tell us? For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's like, listen, guys, look around. Look around. You'll see suffering. But as bad and as down and as, as hard as that suffering can be, it doesn't even compare to the glory, the weight, the power of what's to come. And I think if we could even grasp that a little bit, that's all we would need to say. That's all we would need to say. But ever since that sin took root, that's just not enough for us. Like, like the woman, like, what are you holding out on me, God? I want to know more. <coughs> there surely has to be more than this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, for creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, help me put words to this. Creation, subject to futility. Examples. What examples do you have? What's that? The law of entropy. Everything breaks down, yep. Right? Anyone see the underwater volcano? Do you see that? You see the video of that? That's not Paramount. That's not from Hollywood. That's like the real thing. Nuts. Other examples? The weather. Yeah, apparently down there in Louisiana, they built towns below sea level. They put walls up to keep the water out, and then every couple of years, the storm comes in and says, I don't think so. Yeah. Ever been in an earthquake? A volcano? Okay. Right? Global warming? Whatever you want to think about that, okay? The earth is mad. It knows. It knows it's not where it's supposed to be. The birds know it, the trees know it, the rocks know it, your cat and your dog know it. Like nothing, even those who don't have that higher thought, they just know that they've been subject to creation, not as it was, hole in the ozone layer, right? Like whatever, whatever science tries to figure out, they can spend billions of dollars and 300 years studying it, and they're going to come back to this. We jack this thing up. Yeah, that's the, that's the PhD level understanding. We jack this thing up. And greed makes it worse. The greed of man is the one that does it. Maybe we can push it a little longer. Yeah, I don't know, Reggie. What if we put these in a can that will super blast it? I mean, it might kill the environment a little bit, but who cares, right? Oh, God. 
like toilet paper. We freaked out about that. I remember my wife said, you know, back in the old days, they used to use like washcloths and they just clean them off afterwards. Right? Lowell said the same. What'd you say? Corn cobs. Yeah? Right? That was a while back. Cloth diapers, right? We do these things for convenience. We do these things for greed. I mean, I'm, I'm ridiculous with that bottle of water, right? The first person who's in a boardroom, guys, check it out. I got this great idea. The water, we're going to get it from the faucet. We're going to put it in these little plastic bottles. We're going to sell it to all those suckers. Boy, that tastes a little weird. Hey, we'll add some chemicals in there. I won't. I'm sure that won't cause any brain tumors or anything. We'll be good. Well, what happens when we're done? We'll just throw it in the trash. Oh, yeah, I guess that's a magic thing. You throw it in the trash, it just disappears, right? No. I mean, do you see what we've done and what we keep doing? So all of us, the weather, the plants, the animals, you and I, we're just longing for things to be set right. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Do you see it? And so Paul lays out all that stuff, and then he ends this section of this letter with, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So do you see the rescue for all that stuff coming? I mean, be honest. Do you see it coming? Do you guys see it coming? The insanity of creation falling, do you see it coming yet? I mean, literally, do you see it coming with your eyes? Do you see a plan laid out? No. This is what he's saying. We have hope because what needs to happen to set this thing right, we were told it was going to happen. We just don't see it yet. And obviously, if you read the scripture, you begin to see the world decay around you, and you think, okay, we're getting closer, right? But you don't see the rescue come yet. We're looking for it. As a matter of fact, we've been looking for it. Your grandparents' grandparents were looking for it. So let's consider this. Let's consider for a moment some of the consequences of this curse. The fallout from sin and death. The groaning of man in all creation. I mean, you think of those three things. Like, so some consequences of this curse. Let me give you an example. Anyone aware how much the world wants to make more money and have more power? You see that? Right? Have you seen how insecure we are, how much we want to be noticed and seen and under... I mean, you guys do it. I do it. That's all back to that you want to have something. You used to be God's man, right? The son of God, taking care of all creation, like a lord over creation on behalf of the maker. And now you're an accountant. Right? Now you drive a school bus and you long for that level. And so we pursue power and money and name. What happens? We don't get it. And then what? Then what? We don't get it. What do we do? We keep trying. We worry. We, we start hurting ourselves. We get addictive behaviors. We damage. We create subcultures. Right? Like, I didn't fit in in the main culture, so I created a subculture. Just go to high school. You'll see it all the time. 
What happens when you get it? What happens when you get money and you get power? Right? There's never enough. You lose who you are. And even a smaller thing. What about in the circles you run? Are you jealous? Do you have envy for those around you? Do you want to have the name they have? Do you want to have the looks they have or the family they have? I mean, are you even aware of this pull on you? And that all comes back to that. That curse that everything you were going to do with your life, everything you were going to invest with, it's a struggle. We were watching this show and like every 10 minutes, it was like another commercial about they want you to give them your money so they can save dogs. Forgive me, God, because I'm not the hugest animal lover. And I know that's part of the fall. I should love animals because I, I can see in Genesis I was supposed to help take care of them. But somewhere along the way, we're like, oh, I just want to manage creation. So let's just put a wild beast in my house. And they start procreating, and then I was like, I don't want that. And they throw it outside, and then they're running through the wilderness. And then you've got to have people crying, trying to give you their, make you give them their money so that they can save these dogs, right? We just, we've jacked everything up. The fallout from sin and death. I mean, the fear... You have, you have death, not only your physical death, and that's coming for every one of us. But there's death to relationships. There's just death to hope because we can't forgive like God forgives. We're not patient like God forgives. We've lost our connection with the Father. We've lost our place in Eden. Like, and so we're groaning. Like We're longing for it. I mean, all the worst sin in the world. You could, if you begin to change your eyes for it, you begin to see these people just crying out for rescue. I said that in me. Just that crying out, like, save me, God. Tell me that I'm special. Tell me that I have a, a special place with you. Okay. So I'm beating that to death, but... So all that being the case, doesn't it make sense that you and I would want to re recreate or return to Eden? Yeah. Oh, you know what, Corey? Man, if I could do something, if I could have a mission to make the world better, it would be like my first mission that I had with God. So now I have a business card, and I'm an a influencer and an activist, Right? It's happening, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you can tell me that it's one or two, and I'm going to create a whole number three identity. Like, I'll just, I'll, I want to be special. I want to get that attention. It's like, save me. And over time, it's been so many things. I mean, I wasn't alive in the 50s, but you look at that, and you see the subcultures then. The 60s, they had their subcultures. The 70s had their subcultures. The 80s had their subcultures. The 90s kids, right? They had their subcultures. 2000, 2010, so on, to the subcultures today that exist, where it's like, I want to be part of something bigger than myself. I want to return to Eden. And then you get older, and, you, and then you go to a church, and you hope that in that church you can create Eden. But then you get in a room, a group of people like this who've been at church. You all have this story. The church hurt me. Well, people hurt you. Yes, they did. Because we suck. Yes. 
It was clear. It was written about thousands of years ago. They're just not going to do that for you. This place is not a return to Eden. And then what I've seen more recently is you begin to have this kind of hope, right? We find our hope, like, my return to Eden is the fact that I'm, I'm bonding with all Christians, right? Or my return to Eden is this fact that I love, I love like, creationism, right? I study that. Man, man, my return to Eden is, like, Eden is I, I'm in this pod with everyone who wants to talk about, um, you know, uh, I went blank on the word, but let's just say about any subculture. My return to Eden is that we need to make America strong again because it's going to save the world. My, my return to Eden is that, like, all I'm about is Christian education and forget the rest of the world. Our return to Eden can be apologetics. Our return to Eden can be the hatred I have for abortion. The, our return can, to, to Eden could be this passion we have against sexual rights issues. I mean, do you see it? It has the pastor of a church. And I'm not saying this to be defensive, but I see that so much. I see that so much. But I have to tell you this, before we go on, that's not the way this thing goes down. It's not God's plan. He doesn't give this a facelift. Okay, let's, let's just not forget that for a second. Do you understand, if you read ahead in the scriptures, the end of this is not a facelift earth. It's not the activists rising up to fix it. It's not the Christians rising up to fix it. It's not the church. It's not the Jews. It's not America. Not that all of these, it's not the apologetic folk. It's not the creationists, the creation scientists. Right? It's no king or president. It, it's not that. That's not how this is going to end. See, what do you do, though? Here's the question when you realize that our world, all of creation, and the people in it are heading towards destruction. Is that what's happening? Yep. Okay, we in agreement? I, unless I misread something, but please correct me if I have. But I, I really, really, really think I think this is super important. It's all heading towards destruction. Like, okay, take it out of the world into your house. Like, I have teenage kids, and they're growing up. And it's becoming evident how bad I've blown it in some areas, and other evident how much God's mercy and grace has been wonderful. And they're going to build their own lives. It's not going to look like mine. Praise God, right? And mine doesn't look like my parents. And some of that's good, and some of that's bad. But you can't control. You aren't in control. And you aren't good. So what do you do when you realize all that, man? Even in your own home, the destruction, the death, the fall. When you can finally drop the idealism that you keep trying to hold on to. What do you do with that, but what you're stuck with is waiting for everything to be set right? Because here's a, here's a fact, like, some of you, well, I'm not going to say it's a fact, I don't know when God's coming back. All of us might return to dirt before he does. What if all that time you waited for him to come set things right, and what ended up happening is you end up just dying anyway and returning to dirt? 
could happen. So what can we do, Christians? Because I think right now, we're at a time where we see this so vividly around us. The destruction, the death, because our culture's not hiding it right now. Culture does that. If you see the cycle, evil's going on, but, but the narrative to the public is that it's positive. Like, oh, 50s, that was a really moral time. Not really. 80s, well, that was a really, yeah, not, not really. But the 60s, they were really loud. Yeah, they were really loud about it into the 70s. Well, the 2020s, yeah, they're really loud about our sin and our destruction. It's been there the whole time. But abortion, well, I know they've been killing babies since the beginning. Homosexuality, I know we've been doing that since the beginning. It's in the Bible, it's not new. Big thinkers are saying things against God. Yeah, yeah. I think Paul went against that a lot. And that all really sucks. But in our time, and in our place, this is where you've been born and placed. And we have a time now to actually rise up and actually be Christians for real. And we're not doing it. Because we're struggling to return to Eden. And so the pastors across our land need to remind each other, like, we've got to be responsible because we've been left in charge of this world. And we have a responsibility, but don't lose sight of where your hope is. It's not your return into Eden. It's your rescue from destruction. Remember Peter, famous for putting his foot in his mouth? He wrote, he wrote some letters. Second Peter, verse 3. This guy walked with Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus once said to this guy, get behind me, Satan. So, you know, I mean, he's, he's been through some stuff with the Lord. So Peter said this, 2 Peter 3, do not overlook one fact. Okay, we got a fact. Do not overlook one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay. Let me translate into the Prescott Valley language, okay? He's like, please understand, God's patient because like a thousand years in one day, for him, time is so different than for you. So you can be like, oh, Heidi, we've been waiting a thousand years for this to happen, and God's like, I'll wait 2,000 more. And the reason why, not because he's slow, not because he's on a coffee break, or he's passive like you and I. He just is patient and full of mercy and grace and forgiveness, hoping that no one would perish, but that more of us would come to faith. That's why he's waiting. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was here, they're like, when, when's this going to end? He's like, I don't know, only the Father. Basically, he's going to say, Go do that thing, and I'm going to do it. So the fact that you're sitting here, when are you going to come back, God? I see it. And he's like, I'll tell you when. How comfortable are you right now? Good? Feel good? Yeah. God's not passive. He's loving and patient, wanting us all to come to salvation, wanting us all to repent from our sins. In verse 10, he says this, but the day of the Lord will come. Okay, pause here. You know the judgment's still coming, right? Jesus' Jesus' arrival, death, resurrection, ascension, doesn't mean that that, uh, death and judgment's not coming. That's still coming. The question is, Will you be rescued from it, or will you 
pay the price. (coughs) But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. What's that? What's that mean? What's heavens? Okay, you're falling asleep on me. What's, what's heavens? Yeah, the creation, right? Like the heavens. So they're going to like pass away with a roar and heavenly bodies will be burned up. What are those? Yeah, the stars. We're not talking supermodels. We're talking stars and planets, right? Okay. These things are going to burn up. Yeah, those will too, but that's a whole other thing. Burnt up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done will be exposed. <coughs> Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved. Wait a second. I mean, do you see this? It's like fire dissolving. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godness, godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. (coughs) Sorry, I'm in my voice, huh? We're not going to reset this thing. We're not going to save it. We're just not. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. Pardon me. So if I start telling you there's going to be another great flood to destroy the earth, is that true? No, not a new flood. Fire. Well, there's going to be this guy, man, and he is going to make everything better and save it, so praise God for him. Does that sound like what the Bible says? As a matter of fact, if you read in Revelation, if someone's offering that, who is he? <laughs> yeah, right? It's the opposite. It's the Antichrist. So you and I get stuck in this wrong way of thinking. So please don't misunderstand me. I don't want to come down against all the amazing things that the kingdom of God is at work in on our earth. However, we have to get out of our way of thinking that we're somehow the salvation of the world as the body of Christ. The body of Christ is stacking as many people as we can into the rescue pods before this thing burns up. So all of this 
all of this, you, you almost have to have a little bit of a personality about, or um, a sense of humor about it. Everyone, as they age, I'm starting to see that, like, you know, you got to have a sense of humor when you age. That's what they tell me. Because things start failing. But we should start thinking that way younger. <coughs> when your work doesn't go like you expected it to, have a sense of humor about it because it's just that way. When marriage isn't easy or parenting isn't easy, are you that thrown off or should we just be like, yes, Jesus? See, Jesus is the hope he's going to rescue you. Like, and what I can do while I'm waiting is follow him. What I can do while I'm waiting is just to trust him. I can study and I can fellowship with you. And by all means, testify to the truth every chance I get. But our hope is in the kingdom of God that is coming but is already here. And that's why we gather on Sundays. We're starting to build, be part of building up the kingdom of God, and it's you and I. It's a hundred and some ministers coming together to love one another, to challenge one another, to be unleashed on our town and build that kingdom and start to build the lines of people that Jesus will rescue, all under his guidance, all under his power. And so when we see the world going bad, as much as it makes us want to feel angry, as much as we think we should do something about it, by all means, speak truth. Your hope isn't turning the world around, is it your hope? Our hope is Jesus. <coughs> Our hope is Jesus. Our identity, we, we've got to try to get fight to get back to that. Our identity is that we are sons and daughters of God. Won by Jesus. Redeemed by Jesus and eventually to be rescued forever by Jesus. So, will the worship team come on back up? I'm going to pray, and we'll keep building on this. How about some homework? Do we give you homework enough? And something my wife and I do when we're teaching together, homework. She taught me a lot about that one too, it's fun. We say, we'll be like, okay, if we're talking with somebody, okay, here's your homework. So I'm going to do this to you today. As you pray, examine your life. Examine your life and ask God to reveal to you through the Holy Spirit. Like, what part of this fall what part of this curse do you see yourself hitting your head against? Does that make sense? Like, I'm really struggling with this right now. Well, how does that relate to the current status of the world on the back end of the fall? What part of that is from the fallout? And then by all means, bring that before God and say, work in me and through this, but also help me to see it differently. Help me to see it differently. I mean, if it's work, I mean, could you, if you change your mentality about your work, can that be a huge difference? It's a game changer, right? If you can change your attitude about how you deal with a, a child or on the other end with a parent, 
that can be a game changer. If you can change your attitude about how you deal with your spouse or your boss or even with the other people in the church, I mean, that could be a game changer. And so I think as we keep building forward on this, let's go back to that reality that the world has fallen, it's not getting fixed. Now, will culture do a kind of like do a new cycle and make some corrections so that it doesn't destroy itself? Possibly, but it's still coming. It's still coming. So that's the homework. Let's pray. Let's ask God to reveal that to us. We can take it before him and get his way of understanding that, okay? Let's pray. (coughs) Father, I thank you for your truth. I pray that you would just speak to us and reiterate in our mind that, that you are our rescue. That instead of looking at everything around us that's gone wrong, that we would bring our eyes back to you. To know that this doesn't surprise you or take you off guard, but that you are coming to rescue us. Lord, I do pray that you would come soon, very soon, and rescue us. But I know that you're not slow to answer that prayer, but that you're patient and loving wanting that everyone would come to repentance, Lord. So I, I pray and agree with you in that, Lord. And in the meantime, help us to encourage one another. Transform our thinking through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Help us to love one another and love ourselves as we love you, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.